burdens now on him. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. Alleluia. Oh, praise. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. troubles come, when darkness crowds, when fortunes fail and loss surrounds, my soul is weak, but Christ is strong, and so to him I leave it all, for he who holds all things can bear each care I bring so I'll lay it all on Jesus steadfast is the love of Jesus he hears my cry he's faithful When fortunes fail and loss surrounds, my soul is weak, but Christ is strong. Yes, He is. So to Him I leave it, for He who holds all things can bear.
believe the Lord would have me share an impression this morning and it's a picture so this is the picture it's a picture of a person who has an open sore on their skin that has not healed the sore is irritating and the person keeps scratching it it seems they just can't leave this alone so the sore can't heal. I believe the Lord is saying that there, that there are relationships and families that have open sores that will not heal. These relationships include parents and children, husbands and wives, and our families. In Hebrews 8.12, the Lord says, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I believe the, the sore represents sins and hurts against one another. But the main problem is not the original offense, but the rehearsing and remembering of these offenses that keeps the wound from healing. 
I believe the Lord is saying that since he is omniscient and knows every one of our sins that we have ever contemplated or carried out and chooses not to remember them, then we must do the same. We must forgive those who have sinned against us. We must stop rehearsing these specific offenses in our minds and choose to remember them no more. Then the Lord promises that his balm will heal our wounds by his stripes. We are healed. Let's just take a moment to respond to that word. Perhaps the Lord is speaking to you as you heard Chris share that impression. Did you think of your own life, your own relationships? feels very similar to what he described as an open sore, something that you're scratching and just can't seem to get healed. And I think the Lord wants to minister himself to us this morning. We've just been singing, Lord, we come and we cast our cares on you. We are weak. You're strong. Come, take it all. I think it would just be appropriate for us to, to stop and just do that in prayer. So all right, just bow your heads. Nothing special about bowing our heads, but just get, get some way to get your attention focused on the Lord uh, and ask him, ask him a simple question. Lord, Lord, was this word for me? Lord, is there any place in my life that this word applies? Or is there anything that you are displeased with in my life in terms of relationships? Or is there any way that I need to trust you as the sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent one? Trust in your love. Lord, is there any way that I need to to extend forgiveness. Just ask the Lord some of these questions. Just take a moment to let the Lord speak to us. confess together as your local church here in New Orleans, Lakeview Christian Center. We, we are individual members who make up this body and as we are in, encountering your presence here this morning, Lord, thank you, God, that you would send a message through one of us to us. Spirit of God, that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, and so we, we don't want to have deaf ears. We want to listen. Lord, we want to respond. Lord, and so if there's any way, God, that this encouragement, that this correction Lord, needs to land in us. Lord, would you, would you give us faith to hear that correction? And faith not only to hear, but to respond, Lord. Lord, help us to cast this kind of care upon you. 
to not trust in our own power, our own ability, our own insight, Lord, to deal with this, Lord, but to trust in your power and your ability. Lord, we do, we do mean, Lord, that we want to give all of this to you, all of ourselves. We want, we want you to have us. Lord, we want to surrender all of ourselves to you, to have your way. Lord, so we do that. Lord, it's your spirit that gives us even the desire to do that, Lord, so we know you are working. And receive glory as we continue to sing. Sing verse 2 again. When questions rise, when faith wears thin, when fears come fast and truth grows dim, the one who saved will not forsake. I'll trust his word and trust his way for he who bore my blame can bear each care I name so I laid all on Jesus steadfast is the love of Jesus He hears my cry, he's faithful, I lay it all on Jesus. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast I could never keep my hold Through life's fearful path For my love is often cold He must hold me fast He will hold me fast He will hold me fast so he will hold me fast those he saves are his delight Christ will hold me fast precious in his holy sight he soul be lost his promises shall last bought by him at such a cost he will hold me fast he will hold me fast he will hold me fast for my Savior loves me so he will hold
will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised by Him to end this life. He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to silence. When He comes at last. He will hold me fast. He will hold me Thy hand hath provided 
merciful God. Or morning by mornings, we do see new mercy. Or this morning, this time together, singing, this time in your presence, Lord, this is mercy to us. Thank you for your mercy, God. Thank you for being a faithful God to us. But it gives us hope to continue, to press on in all that we find burdensome in these days, Lord. So we, we turn our eyes away from the burdensomeness and we look to you, God. We come to you. So continue, Lord, as we know you will be. Continue being faithful as we trust you. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Eric, and the worship team for leading us this morning. There's just something unique that God uses about songs and the gathering of the church to deepen truth into our hearts and, and not just to bring us concepts, but to bring us his presence and grateful that God gathers with us and that you are here and, and good morning. Welcome to those of you gathered in person with us. I see some, some new faces uh, back with us on a Sunday we haven't seen in a little while and so, so glad to be able to connect with you uh, today and welcome to those joining us from room 200. We have our family room set up there and, and all who are tuning in online as well. Uh, my name is Evan. I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't gotten a chance to meet any of you and you've been visiting uh, the past few weeks, would love uh, to get to connect with you after the service. Any of the, uh, any of the staff would just get to know you and to find out how we can uh, be caring for you in these days. Well, as we turn our attention to giving this morning, uh, Pastor Keith taught us last Sunday that one of the qualities of biblical love is that it endures all things. And endurance is something that has to kick in, not when, when, not when a setting is new, not when relationships are new, not when there's this kind of adventure and excitement, but when things have become familiar and they've existed over a long period of time and the difficulties and the nuisances and the discomforts are now uh, more clear to us. And so that's true in a marriage, that's true at the workplace, right? When a work setting is, is a newer environment, it's a lot easier to manage those things. It takes endurance later on. It's true in the church as well. And uh, God has provided us different practices in our walk that we, we just do the same thing again. Uh, disciplines and means of his grace to encounter him where, hey, morning after morning, open up the Bible and visit with him. Go to him in prayer. And, and one of those uh, graces that he's given to us that, that, that takes endurance to continue in is, is giving. And you have demonstrated a love that endures uh, throughout this season as a church body uh, being faithful to give toward God's purposes, to acknowledge him as he has provided and to be generous toward his kingdom. And so thank you for continuing to do that. And we're going to turn our hearts to God again to give today. Uh, you can give by using the offering uh, boxes in the back of the room if you're here with us now. Uh, or anybody can give digitally uh, through our website, through the LCC app. Uh, there's some other ways on the screen here that you, you can use. But um, let's turn to the Lord. God, you, you are so kind to us. 
Great is your faithfulness in every season and every situation. Lord, you have endured with us when we have provided no reason in ourselves for you to do that. Lord, we we bring our inconsistency. We bring our waywardness. Lord, we, we bring a thousand categories in which we fail to show up insignificantly. And yet you have loved us and have continued to pour out your favor on us. Lord, thank you for how you are toward us. And would that love empower us to be faithful in whatever setting you have called for endurance and to be faithful as we give. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple quick things to highlight by way of announcements. One is that uh, we've uh, made you aware of uh, some opportunities to serve on our expanding AV team. And uh, thank you to those of you who've expressed interest for that. And, and for all the current AV team members and anybody who might want to explore that, uh, after the service on August 16th, uh, we're going to have a lunch uh, meeting up in room 200. And so if you'd plan to to come hang with us for a little bit, we'll, we'll give you, we'll feed you, give you some lunch and uh, give you some more info on, on how to serve um, in that world for this season. And just for us to continue to be praying uh, for the Bahamas um, with the hurricane that they're experiencing this weekend. And it's passed over some of the islands and so, some are still bearing the brunt of that. And, and you'd be aware, you know, they, they were just in the midst of recovering from Hurricane Dorian last year, and we'd been sending teams down to bring some support there, um, and, and the efforts to rebuild, some of that was cut short because of the coronavirus. And so we're, we're in contact with some people we know there, just trying to find out how they're doing. Is, is there any way that we might be able to serve? And, and we'll let you know about that, but uh, keep them in your, in your prayers. And I think we're going to post a couple of updates uh, on our social media platforms from some videos from them this week. And so uh, if you're not already, you can like us on Facebook, follow on Instagram, and, and keep in touch with some of these updates as well. Well, we are welcoming back today to the pulpit the old man. So please uh, let's celebrate him returning, and we're going to receive God's word today. Takes me a long time to get ready, doesn't it? <laughs> well, before I begin speaking about 1 Corinthians, I want to just take a moment to ask how many of you, this is the first time you've been back since COVID began? Anybody for the first time you've been back? Wonderful. Glad to see you back. One of the big challenges we face, and when I say we, I don't isolate that we to just the church, but also include we as families. 
I think maybe all of us, I don't know, but at least most of us, as a result of COVID, have experienced a separation from our loved ones. I mean, there are many families, and understandably so, that grandparents haven't been able to see their grandchildren. Parents maybe have not been able to see their children for whatever the circumstance would be. And you know, when there is a separation like that, whether it's as a result of COVID or your son or daughter or grandchildren have gone off to school somewhere or moved away, whatever. What is one of the greatest joys we experience when there's been a separation? Anybody have an idea? When there's been a separation, what is the joy that we experience? Reuniting, thank you. Coming back together. I remember years ago, well, not that many years ago, heavens, my grandson went off to college in June. And I counted to the days when he come back for Thanksgiving. Counted the days. What a day of rejoicing and of celebration. What a time of rejoicing when a family that has been separated for whatever purpose gets back together. And can you imagine a parent's heart to once again have the entire family back together? Have any of you experienced this? Okay, a few. The joy. Well, you know, we have feelings and emotions such as joy because God has given them to us as an expression of who he is. Because we're made, remember, in the image of God. And as we experience joy in the reuniting, I believe our Heavenly Father experiences joy when the church, his family, begins to come back come back it's nice to see people on TV but it's so much better to see us together and so for those of you who are coming back I believe the father's joy is expressed and there are several who cannot come back but for those of you who are able to come back and being led by the Holy Spirit to come back, let us encourage you, come back primarily for the joy of God. And for those of you who have been sick because of COVID or maybe for other reasons too, but we're so glad that you're able to get back and that you're recovering, amen. This morning we're continuing in 1 Corinthians 13 and we're going to 
Once again, look at verses 4 through 7. But this time from a little different perspective. You remember Pastor Keith has been speaking about this particular passage for a number of weeks. And in this passage, Paul, after being inspired and led by the Holy Spirit to instruct the church and to give the church God's evaluation of how they have been doing. And you know, there were some good things and then there were some not so good things happening in the church. But one thing there was, there was a lot of ministry in this church. But some of it wasn't being done the right way. And so for four, uh, sorry, 12 chapters, the apostle has been moved upon by the Holy Spirit speaking to the church. And by the way, when we read these words of Scripture, as with every word of Scripture, these are the words of God to us directly. And so what applies to that church also applies to Lakeview Christian Center. What applies to those people individually, collectively applies to us individually and collectively. And by the time the apostle gets to the end of chapter 12, the Holy Spirit tells him to write this in relation to the way they have been doing ministry. He says, but Where is it? End of chapter 12. Where did I go wrong? But I will show you a more excellent way. There it is. I'm looking on the wrong page. I will show you a more excellent way. Now, as Pastor Keith has taken us through these descriptions or attributes or activities of love, he's done so by applying particular attributes to our situations, how we are relating to one another, how we are relating to the culture, the way we are relating in a way that pleases God and the way that we are relating not pleasing to God. And so we're listening to all this And I would imagine that sometimes we weren't that pleased with the application. Perhaps we didn't agree. And so when we hear these things, hopefully at least, we are saying, I want to love more. And so what do we do? What do we do when we see ourselves impatient? Ask for what? More what? More patience. God make me, what about kindness? God make me more gentleness. God make me more gentle. So let's look at this list again and see what we have here. 
Paul begins with a most astounding and maybe someone would say that's a very negative thing to say to the church, especially in consideration of all the things that we have been doing and the sacrifices we have been making and all the work that we have been doing. Listen to what this man tells the church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the first three verses of chapter 13. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Dang, 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 dang. Really, that's what you think? If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, even as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am, what is that word he says there? Do some of you have a Bible open? What is the word? I am what? Nothing. Now, can you imagine a preacher standing before his church, a church like this, and all the work that is being done in this church with Alpha, Beta, Sunday schools, children's church, VBS, youth activities. I mean, this church is a very active church, wouldn't you say? But then the pastor says, you know, if you haven't done this in love, you're nothing. Well, can he give us a little credit for something? But the apostle says what? The apostle Paul says, what word does he use? Nothing. This is a very challenging word to the church, and at least it should be, especially it should be to us also. If I give away all that I have, we just did offering. And if I deliver my body even to be burned, but have not love, I have gained nothing. Now, these are strong words. What are we talking about here? What kind of love? You remember in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, the apostle, after writing two chapters, suddenly bursts into a doxology, you know, a praise. And the Holy Spirit, as it were, just comes upon this man in such a personally significant way and gives John a dose of what it is to be a child of God. And he stops his instruction and he says, see what love the Father has bestowed upon us, has poured out upon us that we should be called the children of God. You know, I think one of the weaknesses among us as believers is, is that we don't spend enough time just sitting and thinking about that verse. See what kind of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Can you imagine this? Think for a moment that this God that this God has chosen to dwell in us, to dwell in us, to make his habitation in me and in each one of us who are born again. 
And when John says, see what kind of love, he is talking about a particular kind of love. Not just love, but a particular kind of love. And this is the same kind of love that Paul is speaking about in 1 Corinthians and all throughout the New Testament. The Greek word for this particular and unique kind of love is agape. That is the word that is used to specify God's kind of unique love. So there are several ways agape can be translated. But this morning I feel the Holy Spirit wants us to concentrate on one, or maybe, sorry, on the central, essential understanding of what agape is. What is the essence of agape? Agape is the Greek word that is used by the New Testament writers to identify God's intra-Trinitarian love. The love that exists within the Godhead the love that is expressed and experienced within the being of God among the three persons of God. This agape, this is the love that the Father has for the Son. Agape is the love that the Son has for the Father. This is that love that the Holy Spirit has for the Father and the Son and the Son for the Spirit and the Father for the Spirit. This is that relational, fellowshipping love that exists among the three persons of the Trinity. This is the love that is meant by agape. It is this love specifically and essentially this is the love of God. The love that he has within himself among the three persons of the Trinity. And this love is expressed in the joy that these three divine persons experience in their fellowship and in their communion and in their work. In their work. This love is experienced in peace. There is a peace in God, a satisfaction, a settledness. This is the love of God. And so when the New Testament uses the word agape, I'm hoping that when we hear the word agape or when we look at the word in the New Testament referring to God's love, this is going to be our primary consideration and remembrance. You know, typically, when we hear God is love, we usually think about God's love for us, don't we? Don't we? 
Now, that's not necessarily wrong. It's just not primary. The primary focus of God's love is God. The source of God's love is God. The purpose of God's love is the revelation of who he is in himself. And so as those who have been born again by the Holy Spirit, this morning, let's make sure that we have a clearer understanding of this love of God when the Bible says love one another and do this for one another and care for one another and minister to one another and minister to the gospel. If you have a Bible with you, turn to John 17, verse 26. It's one of those verses that should stand out and scream, amazing, amazing, amazing. In fact, it should almost say to you, this cannot be true. It cannot be true, but we know it is true. There's just certain verses in the Bible that impact us this way, or at least should. And Jesus in John 17, 26 is at the end of his prayer. He's left the upper room with the disciples about ready to go to the cross. They cross the brook Kedron. He prays. And as he's finished the prayer, then Jesus, remember the disciples, go into the garden of Gethsemane. But this is the prayer that is prayed before Jesus enters the garden. And at the end of the prayer, Jesus, having spoken about God's love, he says this, speaking to the Father, he says, I have made your name known to them, your character, your name, your character. And I will make it known. Has God made his name known to us this morning? If God has saved you, he's made his name known to you, right? But the question is, why? Why did God save us? He did not save us because we were evil. He did not save us because we needed to be saved. He saved us so that he could place within us his own personal love and develop and grow and cultivate that love in us by the Holy Spirit. So that love begins to be manifested in us and among us and through us to one another. So that we become a living community that is a visible, physical display of the intra-Trinitarian love of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's the community that we are called to be. And at the end of the prayer, Jesus says, I have made your name known to them. Why? So that in order for this reason, the love which you have with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. (laughs) 
I remember when I first saw that, at least with any recognition. And I remember that verse and I said, nope, I can't believe that. How many of you have trouble? The very love of God, the Father's love for the Son, and the Son's reciprocal love for the Father as manifested by the Spirit. How many of us have some difficulty? That's the love that has been placed in my heart. You mean to tell me that the Father loves me as much as he loves the Son, and that the Son of God loves me as much as he loves the Father? Do you have any difficulty with this, anybody? Anybody? But we need to get it deep, inculcated into our hearts and minds. You see, this is the gospel. Once again, typically when we speak about the gospel, we typically have ourselves in mind. The gospel of God's way to save me through Jesus Christ's death. Well, that's true, but it's secondary. And we want to be a people who are understanding and walking with God on the basis of primary purpose not secondary or the, per, the activities that occur as a result of the primary. The secondary is the fruit of the primary. The central significance and revelation of the gospel is the revelation of the Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father brought into our hearts by the Holy Spirit as a result of the Son's obedience in the incarnation to become the atoning sacrifice for our sins so that in being forgiven and then justified, we could become the eternal sons and daughters of God so that we are brought into the very essence of that fellowship of the three persons of the Trinity. That's the gospel. You see, the gospel is for God. It's from God. And it's about God, and we are the objects of the gospel. He is the subject. What does this mean? This means that the problem or the failure, the weakness of the Corinthian church, as every church has a problem here, is that they were loving one another, sorry, they were relating to one another they were ministering, they were doing whatever they did in a way that was not in accordance either at all or enough by the very love of Jesus for the Father. They were doing ministry in a way that was not reflective of the way the son loves the father and the father loves the son. 
See, that's why the Apostle Paul says it's nothing. So what does this mean? This means that God's essential love, do you know what I mean by that by now? The love that exists within the Godhead among the three persons of the Trinity, God's essential love, God's kind of love, God's agape love. In order to be accepted and honoring and praiseworthy and revealing of God's glory must be sourced in God, must be motivated by the Holy Spirit, and must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That means we are to love one another with the same love that Jesus has for the Father and the Father has for the Son. Now, I don't know what's challenging to you, but for me, this, I think, is the quintessential challenge of my life. You remember in Revelation chapter 2, the Lord begins to address seven churches in Asia Minor. And Jesus gives a prophecy or a word through the Apostle John, who is the author, at least the human author. And he addresses the church in Ephesus and he says, hey, I want to let you know my evaluation of you. And so in the first three verses, hey, this is a going and blowing church. It's a very successful church. Now, interestingly, the evaluation of how a church is doing does not come from the people in the church. It must be done from the God who is the God of the church. I can't evaluate. My wife will occasionally say to me after school of the word or speaking here, how do you think you did? I'll tell her, I don't know. Because the evaluation is not mine to make. It's the Holy Spirit. So we doing good as a church? As I say, do we doing good? That's grammatically. Well, yes, I suppose we are doing good. Yeah, we're doing good. We're doing this, this, this. Well, so the church in Ephesus was doing good. But then we read verse 4. But I have this against you. You're not witnessing enough. No. But I have this against you. You're not reading your Bibles enough. No. But I have this against you and all these activities of the church. No, what Jesus has against the church is the heart with which they minister and relate. So what does he say? Julio, he says, I have this against you. In all of the things that you're doing, in all of it, you've left your first love. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit saying to Lakeview Christian Center, and all the alphas you've had over the years, and we've had a lot of alphas around here, 
Of all the people that have been saved in Alpha over the years, I have this against you. You've left your first love. How many of us would be really undone with that? So that's what he tells the Ephesian church. You see, everything looked good on the outside, but there was something wrong on the inside. They were doing ministry some kind of way apart from Jesus' love. They were not loving one another, apparently, with Jesus' own love. They were not ministering to others with Jesus' own love. They were not dealing with heresy in Jesus' own love. How do we know that? He tells them, you've, you've left the ground of what your purpose as a church is. See, the purpose of the church is not to do things. It is to be a people in whom God's love is manifested clearly and compellingly and consistently so that the world may know when they see us, they are literally experiencing this God who is love himself. That's the primary issue of the church. And to the extent that we are loving with God's love, there will be many, many, many activities. Remember what John and what Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 34. Some of you may have a Bible and can turn to that pretty quickly. John 13, 34. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, you remember in John 13, 14, 15, and 16, these chapters relate some of the activities and the teachings of Jesus in the upper room prior to him going to the cross. And he's just washed the feet of the disciples. I think it's before the feet washing. I could be wrong. And he says, I give you a new commandment. Now, what would we think it is? Well, you need to be better in evangelism. You need to be better stewards. You need to come to church more. Well, you know, there are a lot of things that we think he could have said. But what does he say? A new commandment I give to you. Somebody read it to me so I can hear you loudly. That you love one another. Keep going. Just as, or in the same way. Yes. This is my commandment. That you love one another just as in the same way that I have loved you. Now, the question this morning is, is that happening in us? Well, first of all, if we're saved, it is happening. But is 
our love, the love that we are experiencing, actually Jesus' love in us developing. It's not a question of whether we have the love of God because we are saved. We do have this love. This is not something to do to get the love. This is, you put the seed in the ground and why does, why do you put a seed in the ground? You're hoping for what one day? For a tree to come up, a plant to come up. So let's go back and reread some of the verses in 1 Corinthians 3 through 7. I'm sorry, 13, 3 through, 4 through 7. Let's read them with John 13, 34 in mind. Because you see, we must put all the parts of the Bible together like the parts of a puzzle to see the whole and full picture. We don't want to concentrate on just one part to the exclusion of others because we'll lose the truth. So this, Jesus' own love is always patient. Jesus' own love is always what? Kind. Is it in your bulletin? Oh, you, 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 whatever. Jesus' own love is not jealous, does not brag, it's not arrogant. Jesus' own love never is never rude or irritable or resentful. Jesus' own love, what? Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Whose love does this? Hmm? Jesus' own love. Now, when I read that or other verses in the New Testament, I'm challenged. I want to be a believer who honors and glorifies God. Do you? Do you? I think so. And so when I see patience, kindness, goodness, not resentful, not irritable, etc., when I see that and I know that's God's will, then what am I going to do? David, I'm going to try harder, brother. I'm going to try harder. And I've tried and I've tried over the years and I have failed and I have failed over the years. Any of you experienced that? I know I need to be more patient. God, do what? Give me more patience. Make me less irritable. In other words, we're asking God to do in us only what the Holy Spirit does in us. And so when I look at a list like that, I realize that I have continually failed to love with Jesus' own love. Why? Why so much failure? Because I cannot do it. I cannot do it. You see, I thought what I needed to ask God was for him to improve or increase my kind of love. Make my love better. The emphasis and the focus is upon me, I, and my. This is my experience. I don't know what yours is, but I would have a sneaking suspicion that many of you have had the same experience. 
Chris, my kind of love. So what did I do? I asked God for more control, more ability. But it was not working. Why? Because you see, the generation of this kind of love is the work of the Holy Spirit. In our kitchen, the faucet in the sink several months ago was dripping. You know, you turn on is that you ever turn on a faucet and it's not working, it just drips. Anybody in here ever have had that? Have you ever had your lights go out or they get dim or whatever? Correct? So what's what's the uh, what's the uh, answer to that? How do you solve that? Well, of course, you know what to do. You call the water board and you ask them to put more water in your pipes. Why laugh, Mike? I mean, that's the way you do it. You shouldn't laugh at that. That's the way you do it. You call energy and you ask for more what? Electricity in the wires. I mean, Nick, isn't that what you do? Now, what's wrong with that? It doesn't work. And so you see, when we recognize a deficiency or a lack rather, or the lack of God, the activity of God's love in us, we're doing the wrong thing when we're asking for more water to be put into the pipe. Why? Because there is enough water already, or electricity hopefully, in the wires. There's something that's not allowing this. Something's in the way of what is already there to go and to flow, correct? Do we get that? That's deep. I know this is deep and I know the next time this happens to you, don't call the water board. But isn't this what's going on with us? You see, we have God's electricity in us. We have God's water in us. He is called the Holy Spirit. I think this is partly what Jesus is talking about. When he begins to talk about the production of fruit in our lives, remember in John chapter 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can bear no what? Fruit. You must abide in me and my word abide in you. And so the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us is the work of, and the ministry and the activity of not what we are doing. The fruit of the life of God in us is not the result of what I am doing. Does somebody know what Galatians 5.22 says? The fruit of the Spirit is love. You, you don't have to go to the rest. Let's just stop there. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. So when Jesus is saying be fruit bearing, 
And this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit in John 15, 8. So what is this fruit? What is this? It's not what I do. It's the result of the Holy Spirit planting in me at the moment I have been born again, the very love of God himself. And then beginning over a lifelong process of developing in me this love as an increasing activity and revelation. How did we get this love? Romans 5, 5. Does someone remember what Romans 5, 5 says? For the love of God. Now, stop. Essentially and primarily, when the apostle by the revelation of the Spirit says, for the love of God, does he mean primarily God's love for me? No. Don't think like that anymore. Let us be more and more free of me. For the love of God, what love is that? The love of the Father for the Son, the love of the Son for the Father, the love of the community of God by the Holy Spirit. This intra-Trinitarian love, this is the love of God. This is what John talks about in John 4, 8 and verse 16. God is love. This is the love. So in Romans 5, 5, what does it say? For the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, we have not received the Holy Spirit to make us better. And if you think that, that's why you're going to be emphasizing what you're going to try to do. And I'm, and you know what? How many of us, I said us, have ever experienced frustration in dealing with another believer? Anybody? The husbands didn't want to look at the wives, that's for sure. You know, I don't want to look at her, I'll get knocked out of my chair. How many of us have ever been impatient with another believer? How many of us have experienced irritability as the result, so we think, of another believer? Am I talking in areas that are strange to you or is common? Well, why are we experiencing these emotions or feelings? Why? Because you see, God's love is joyful. God's love is peaceful. God's love is pure satisfaction and contentment. God's, God's love is always kind and patient and gentle and good and faithful and self-controlling. So when I'm experiencing these other, if you would, negative things, which Paul talks about in verses six and seven, 
What should that say to me? That first should not say to me, well, I am not saved. Now, maybe it does if you're not saved, but if you're a believer, it shouldn't say that. Because all who are being led by the Spirit are the children of God. You remember in Romans 8. What it says to me is there is a deficit or a deficiency in the activity of God's love. The water isn't getting out of the faucet. So I call in Dr. Drip. I call Steve Roberts, Dr. Drip. So he can send his people over to unclog this thing or put a new faucet on or whatever it is. So now when I turn on the water, it comes on out. You see, this is so critical. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 5, verses 9 and what is it? Help me, I went brain dead. 9 and 30, right? In verses 9 and 30, Jesus says at the end of the verse, essentially what? I can do nothing on my own. Did you see what he said? Nothing pertaining to what? Are you kidding? You're walking on water, you're raising the dead, you're healing blind. What are you talking about? I can do nothing on my own. In other words, I can do no spiritual good. I cannot. Listen to who this is. This is the man, Jesus Christ. And he says, not even I can love with the Father's love on my own. Have you ever thought of that? Or do we think, well, Jesus did it because that's Jesus. Jesus is doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God who is bringing forth the experience that this man has about his heavenly father, the revelation of his father's will and his part in that. The Holy Spirit is generating, creating, giving him this, and then he is generating in him the very love of the father for the son. So that everything that Jesus does, I do nothing on my own or according to my own way or my human ability. And if anybody had human ability, Jesus had it. And if he didn't do it, we need to stay away from it too. Even Jesus lived this way. Why? Because you see, if the man Jesus lived and loved and did the ministry under the power of a human being, even though a, even a perfect human being, God the Father is not glorified because God is glorified by his own love. His own love. Not my love, not my practices, not my whatever. There's a lot more to say, but let me share five things with us. 
how do we do this? See, the critical thing now that we've heard this, and hopefully we can leave here this morning, having a much larger understanding and view and appreciation of what the Bible means by God's love and our love. So how do I do it? How do I love any of you with Jesus' own love? Or the, the more critical question is, how do you love me with Jesus' love? You know, I can get on people's nerves once in a while, believe it or not. I can be unloving. I can be critical. Be quiet. I'm talking to the jolly green giant over here. How do we do it? Let's talk about that for a moment. First, the Holy Spirit is the only one. May I repeat that? The Holy Spirit is the only one who convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. Correct? John 6, 16, 8. The Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit won't use somebody. See, to me, and I have to be careful, here's a revelation for you. I'm a human being. And here's a revelation for you. Your biggest problem is your own humanity. And so if I'm doing something and my wife corrects me or whatever, even if she does it with a bad attitude or whatever, the way I don't like, that irritates me. But God actually can convict us through friends and relatives and even people who hate us. And the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is the revelatory work of the Holy Spirit to say that right there was not God's kind of love. Right there. So the first thing is that God, the Holy Spirit, convicts us when we are not loving with God's kind of love. How do I recognize it? Well, assess your spiritual barometer. Feel it in your guts. King James calls it the bowels of God. Guts. Because the Greeks felt that emotions were in the guts. So something's going on. You're doing something. You're in a situation relating, whatever. And you get that feeling inside of you down deep. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, this kind of like, Mm, mm, mm. When I, as I said previously, feel those things, I must immediately realize this is the work of the Holy Spirit convicting me of a lack in some way, to some extent, of the activity of his love in me. See, my first propensity is to do what? point out what's wrong with everybody else. But Adam did that, remember? It's a woman. The woman did that to the serpent. The serpent didn't have anywhere to turn. 
let the Holy Spirit confect us. Listen to your guts. Secondly, when we are convicted by the Holy Spirit, our response is to be what Jesus told his Ephesian church. Jesus says, I have this against you. You've left your first love. So what does verse 5 say? Therefore what? Repent. Repent. Now, now, what is repentance? What strictly and specifically, it is a change of heart or a change of mind. So repentance is the activity of confession. Father, I agree with you. What I just said, what I just did, my motive, my whatever was not from your love. I confess that. It's a change of mind. But it's a change of heart also. <laughs> God convicts you of sin. Anybody ever been convicted of sin here? Anybody at all? You've been convicted of sin? What's the first thing we do? I can tell you what I used to do. Thank God for his releasing power. I can tell you what I used to do. Oh, I'm sorry. And it just go away. I shouldn't have done it. I'm just this and that. You know. No, don't do that. That's demeaning to God. He's not asking you to be groveling before him. He's asking you to stand as a believer, <clears throat> as a forgiven child, washed in the blood of the lamb, to confess and to agree with him so that he can minister. So repentance is not something I can do on my own. I can't even decide. I'm going to try to repent. Can't do it. 2 Timothy 2.25, that God may grant them repentance. So what do I do? I just tell about me. When Peter Davidson is convicted by the Holy Spirit, and I recognize what that was as sin, not loving in God's love, I confess it, and then I say, Father, would you generate in me the ability to change, for my heart to be changed? Not for me to change my heart. I cannot change my heart. The Holy Spirit does that. Would you change my heart toward that activity? And then would you cleanse me? John 13, Jesus cleanses, washes the feet. That's all you need. He said, you've been made whole in the word I've spoken to you. Now all you need is your feet washed. Cleanse me. No guilt or condemnation. Romans 8, 1. Cleanse me. Create in me a repentant heart. Number three. And here's where we go wrong. Do not ask the Holy Spirit to increase your love or to increase his love in you. Do not ask the Holy Spirit. Stop trying to love. Stop trying to love. Start asking, submitting to, and believing and receiving that the Holy Spirit will generate God's own love in you.
want to just say one thing about conviction because I think it's an issue sometimes among us. If you go to Nancy Treby's house, you'll see a lovely garden. A lovely garden. Assuming Bill doesn't get into it, it's a lovely garden. Now, so Nancy and Bill have a lovely garden and they go on vacation for six months. No one touches the garden, Nancy. What do you come back and what will you see in your garden? Weeds. What you see, convicting of the Holy Spirit is like weeds. In the garden of my heart, when there's any activity at all, whatever it is, that is not of God's own love, a little what? Weed grows up. So what do I do? Bemoan the whole thing? No. Father, God is the gardener. Holy Spirit, tend to it. Repentance, confession. Oh, but I, I know one better now. Alice, this is what I've done in the past. I'm going to go in my garden and I'm going to look for all the weeds that could be there. I'm going to dig them up and whatever, and I'm going to look for these weeds. No. We're not weed, look, you know, we're not looking for weeds. We pull them up when they are identified. So the Holy Spirit isn't asking you to start digging into your life to see where your problems are. He is faithful. He'll show you where they are. And then last, when you ask the Holy Spirit for this, believe he'll do it. Believe he'll do it. If we ask anything according to his will, what? We, knows that, we know that he hears us. And when we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we made of him. 1 John five fourteen. We know that. And then to continue to live this way. Let's stand together. I want to close with this passage from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 12. Beloved, let us agape one another. Now remember, agape we can't do. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. For agape is from God, and whoever agapes has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not agape does not know God. For God is agape. In this, the agape of God has been made manifest among us, that God has sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is agape, not that we have agaped God first, but that he has agaped us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so agaped us, we are also to agape one another. This is the essence of our life in Christ. His life in us manifested not so much through external activities, but manifested in a changed heart. One that was self-loving and motivated and active until 
the Holy Spirit took that self heart out and put God's own heart, the heart of the Son of God himself in us so that now we can begin to experience and literally walk with one another and do ministry together in the same way that Jesus did. This is what God desires to do. And this is what he will do as we submit to him and obey him and walk with him in his love. Respond to this word and song. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art Thou. If ever I love Thee, my Jesus,
glory and endless delight. Thank you for reminding us of the source of the love that we try and for the correction for not trying. Lord, but the source of the love that we emulate, that we seek to emulate. Lord, the, the love that we've been given, the love that we've been shown, the love that we've received in Christ. Lord, thank you for the reminder of that love, that being the source. Lord, so now we, we want our love for you, Lord, the gratefulness that we have, the gratitude for you showing this kind of love to us. So we want it to come out of us to one another. Lord, and we know that it's your spirit that does that. Lord, so we, we want to comply. We want to surrender. Lord, we do that. Not just that we want to, Lord, but we do that now. Lord, we surrender to you. Lord, teach us of your love. This week, Lord, as we're in your word, Lord, would you show us all the ways that your love, just the multifaceted love of Christ, Lord, show it to us and help us to live in light of it, Lord, we pray this week in your name. Amen. Y'all have a great week. See you soon. Miss you guys at home. <laughs>